we begin book three, which is part of book two, The Two Towers. Before we keep going, there's a wee synopsis. This is the second part of Lord of the Rings. The first part, The Fellowship of the Ring, told how Gandalf the Grey discovered that the ring possessed by Frodo and the Hobbit was in fact the One Ring, ruler of all the rings of power. It recounted the flight of Frodo and his companions from the quiet shire of their home, pursued by the terror of the Black Riders of Mordor, until at last, with the aid of Aragorn, the ranger of Ariador, they came through perils to the house of Elrond in Rivendell. There was held the great council of Elrond, at which it was decided to attempt the destruction of the ring, and Frodo was appointed the ring-bearer. The companions of the ring were then chosen, who were to aid him in this quest, to come if he could to the mountain of fire in Mordor, the land of the enemy himself, where alone the ring could be unmade. In this fellowship were Aragorn and Boromir, son of the Lord of Gondor, representing men, Legolas, son of the elven king of Mirkwood, for the elves, Gimli, son of Gloin, of the Lonely Mountain, for the dwarves, Frodo with his servant Samwise, and his two young kinsmen, Meriadoc and Peregrine, representing hobbits, and, of course, Gandalf the Grey. The companions journeyed in secret far from Rivendell in the north, until baffled in their attempt to cross the high pass of Caradhras in winter, they were led by Gandalf through the hidden gate, through the vast mines of Moria, seeking a way beneath the mountains. There Gandalf, in battle with the dreadful spirit of the underworld, fell into a dark abyss, but Aragorn, now revealed as the hidden heir of the ancient kings of the west, led the company on from the east gate of Moria through the elvish land of Lorien and down the river Anduin until they came to the falls of Roros. Already they had become aware that their journey was being watched by spies, and that the creature Gollum, who had once possessed the ring, still lusted for it and was following their trail. It now became necessary for them to decide whether they should turn east to Mordor or go on with Boromir with the aid of Minas Tirith, chief city of Gondor, in the coming war, or should divide. When it became clear that the ring-bearer was resolved to continue his hopeless journey to the land of the enemy, Boromir attempted to sing the, seize the ring by force. The first part ended with the fall of Boromir, to the lure of the ring, with the escape and disappearance of Frodo and his servant Samwise, and the scattering of the remainder of the fellowship by a sudden attack of orc soldiers, some of the service of the Dark Lord of Mordor, some of the traitor Saruman of Isengard. The quest of the ring-bearer seemed already overtaken by disaster. This second part, The Two Towers, now tells how each of the members of the Fellowship of the Ring fared, after the breaking of their fellowship, until the coming of the Great Darkness and the outbreak of the War of the Ring, which is to be recounted in the third part. The Two Towers, being the second part of The Lord of the Rings. Book 3, Chapter 1 the departure of Boromir. Aragorn sped up the hill. Every now and again he bent to the ground. Hobbits go light and their footprints were not easy even for a ranger to read, but not far from the top, a spring across the path, and in the wet earth he saw what he was seeking. I read the signs aright, he said to himself. 
Frodo ran to the hilltop. I wonder what he saw there. But he returned by the same way and went down the hill again. Aragorn hesitated, his desires to go to the high seat himself, hoping to see that something that might guide him in his perplexities. But time was pressing. Suddenly he leaped forward and ran to the summit, across the great flagstones and up the steps. And sitting in the high seat, he looked out. But the sun seemed darkened, and the world dim and remote. He turned from the north back again to north, and saw nothing save the distant hills, unless it were that far away he could see again a great bird, like an eagle high in the air, descending slowly in wide circles downwards to the earth. Even as he gazed, his quick ears caught the sounds of the woodlands below, on the west side of the river. He stiffened. There were cries, and among them, to his horror, he could distinguish the harsh voices of orcs. Then suddenly, with deep-throated call, a great horn blew, and the blasts of it smote the hills and echoed in the hollows, rising in a mighty shout above the roaring of the falls. "'The horn of Boromir!' he cried. "'He is in need!' He sprang down the steps and away, leaping down the path. "'Alas, what an ill fate there is on me today! And all that I do goes amiss. Where is Sam?' As he ran, the cries came louder, but fainter now, and desperately the horn was blowing. Fierce and shrill rose the yells of the orcs, and suddenly the horn calls ceased. Aragorn raced down the last slope, but before he could reach the hill's foot, the sounds died away, and as he turned to the left and ran towards them, they retreated, until at last he could hear them no more. Drawing his bright sword and crying, Alendil! Alendil! He crashed through the trees. A mile, maybe, from Path Gullin in the little glade not far from the lake, he found Boromir. He was sitting with his back to a great tree as if he was resting. But Aragorn saw he was pierced with many black feathered arrows. His sword was still in his hand, but it was broken near the hilt. His horn, cloven in two, was by his side. Many orcs lay slain, piled about him and about his feet. Aragorn knelt beside him. Boromir opened his eyes and strove to speak. At last, slow words came. I tried to take the ring from Frodo, he said. I'm sorry. I have paid. His glance strayed to his fallen enemies. Twenty at least lay there. They've gone, the halflings. The orcs have taken them. I think they're not dead. Orcs bound them. He paused and his eyes closed wearily. After a moment he spoke again. Go, Aragorn. Go to Minas Tirith and save my people. I failed. No, said Aragorn taking his hand and kissing his brow. You have conquered. Few have gained such victory. Be at peace. Minas Tirith shall not fall. Boromir smiled. Which way did they go? Was Frodo there? said Aragorn. But Boromir did not speak again. Alas, said Aragorn. Thus passes the heir of Denethor, lord of the Tower of the Guard. This is a bitter end. Now the company is all in ruin, and it is I that have failed. 
Vain was Gandalf's trust in me. What shall I do now? Boromir has laid it on me to go to Minas Tirith, but my heart desires it. But where are the ring and the bearer? How shall I find them and save the quest from disaster? He knelt for a while, bent with weeping, still clasping Boromir's hand. So it was that Legolas and Gimli found him. They came from the western slopes of the hill, silently, creeping through the trees as if they were hunting. Gimli had his axe in his hand, and Legolas his long knife. All his arrows were spent. When they came into the glade, they halted in amazement, and then they stood a moment with their heads bowed in grief, for it seemed to them plain what had happened. Alas, said Legolas, coming to Aragorn's side, we have hunted and slain many orcs in the woods, but we should have been here of more use. We came when we heard the horn, but it was too late, it seems. I fear you have taken deadly hurt. Boromir is dead, said Aragorn. I am unscathed, for I was not here with him. He fell defending the hobbits while I was away on the hill. The hobbits? cried Gimli. Where are they? Where is Frodo? I do not know, answered Aragorn wearily. But before he died, Boromir told me that the orcs had bound them. He didn't think they were dead. I sent him to follow Merry and Pippin, but I did not ask him if Frodo or Sam with him. Not until, not until they had gone already. All I have done today has gone amiss. What is to be done now? First, we must tend the fallen, said Legolas. We cannot leave them lying like carrion amongst these foul orcs. But we must be swift, said Gimli. He would not wish us to linger. We must follow the orcs if there is hope of any of our company living as living prisoners. But we do not know whether the ring-bearer is with him or not, said Aragorn. Are we to abandon him? Must we not seek him first? An evil choice is before us. Let us do first what we must do, said Legolas. We have not the time or tools to bury our, bury our comrade fitly, or to raise a mound over him, but a cairn we can build. The labour will be long and hard. There are no stones that we could use nearer than the waterside. Then let us lay him in a boat with his weapons, and the weapons of his vanquished foes, said Aragorn. We will send him to the falls of Roros and give him to the Anduin. The river of Gondor will take care at least that no evil creature dishonours his bones. Quickly they searched the bodies of the orcs, gathering their swords and cloven helms and shields into a heap. See, cried Aragorn, here we find tokens. He picked out from the pile of grim weapons two knives, leaf-bladed, damask and golden red, and search, searching further he found the sheaths black set with small red gems. No orc tools, these, he said. These are borne by the hobbits. Doubtless the orcs despoiled them, but feared to keep the knives, knowing them for what they are, works of westerness, wound about with the spells of the bane of Mordor. Well now, if they still live, our friends are weaponless. I'll take these, hoping it's hope that we can give them back. And I, said Legolas, will take all the arrows I can find, for my quiver is empty. He searched in the pile and on the ground about, and found that not a few were undamaged and longer in the shaft than such arrows that, as the orcs are accustomed to use. He looks at them closely. And Aragorn looked at the slain and said, Here lie many that are not a folk of Mordor, some are from the north, from the misty mountains, if I know anything of orcs and their kind. And here are others strange to me. Their gear is not after the manner of orcs at all. 
There were four goblin soldiers of greater stature, swart, slant-eyed, and thick legs with large hands. They were armed with short, broad-bladed swords, not with the curved scimitars usual with orcs. And they had bows of yew, in length and shape like the bows of men. Upon their shields they bore a strange device, a small white hand in the centre of a black field. On the front of their iron helms is an S-rune, wrought of some white metal. I've not seen these tokens before, said Aragorn. What do they mean? Oh, S is for Sauron, said Gimli. That's easy enough. Nay, said Legolas, Sauron doesn't use Alpharins. Neither does he use his right name, nor permit it to be spelt or spoken, said Aragorn. And he does not use white. The orcs in the service of Brandondur use the sign of the red eye. He stood for a moment in thought. Yes, maybe for Sarah Man, I think, he said at length. There is an evil afoot in Isengard, and the West is no longer safe. It is as Gandalf feared. By some means the traitor Saruman has, used his, has had news of our journey. It is likely, too, that he knows of Gandalf's fall. Pursuers from Moria may have escaped the vigilance of Lorien, or they may have avoided the land and come to Isengard by other paths. Orcs travel fast, but Saruman has many ways of learning news. Do you remember the birds? We don't have time to ponder riddles, said Gimli. Let us bear Boromir away. But after that we must guess the riddles if we're to choose our course rightly, answered Aragorn. Maybe there is no right choice, said Gimli. Taking his axe, the dwarf now cut several branches. These they lashed together with bowstrings and spread their cloaks upon the frame. Upon this rough bear they carried the body of their companion to the shore. Together with such trophies of his last battles, they chose to send forth with him. It was only a short way, yet they found it no easy task, for Boromir was a man both tall and strong. At the waterside, Aragorn remained watching the bear, while Legolas and Gimli hastened back and foot in the path Galen. It was a mile or more, and then it was some time before they came back, paddling two boats swiftly along the shore. This is a strange tale to tell, said Legolas. There are only two boats upon the bank. We would find no trace of the other. Have orcs been there? asked Aragorn. We saw no sign of them, said Gimli. And orcs would have taken or destroyed all the boats, the baggage as well. I'll look at the ground when we come there, said Aragorn. Now they laid Boromir in the middle of the boat that was able to bear him away. The grey hood and elven cloak they folded and placed beneath his head. They combed his long dark hair and arrayed it upon his shoulders. The golden belt of Lorien gleamed about his waist. His helm they set beside him, and across his lap they laid the cloven horn and the hilts of the shards of his sword. Beneath his feet they put the two swords of his enemies, or put the many swords of his enemies. Then, fastening the prow to the stern of the other boat, they drew him into the water. They rowed sadly along the shore, turning into the swift-running channel. They passed the green swath of Path Galen. The steep sides of tall Brandir were glowing. It was now mid-afternoon, and as they went south, the fume of Roros rose and shimmered before them a haze of gold. The rush and thunder of the falls shook the windless air. Sorrowfully, they cast loose the funeral boat. There Boromir lay, restful, peaceful, gliding upon the bosom of the floating water. The stream took him while they held their own boat back with their paddles. He floated by them, and slowly his boat departed, waning into a dark spot against the golden light. Then suddenly it vanished.
Barwas roared on unchanging. The river had taken Boromir, son of Denethor, and he was not seen again in Minas Tirith, standing as he used to stand upon the White Tower in the morning. But in Gondor and after days, it was long said that the elven boat rode the falls in the foaming pool, and bore him down to Osgiliath, and passed the many mouths of Anduin out to the great sea at night under the stars. For a while, the three companions remained silent, gazing after him. Then Aragorn spoke. They will look for him from the White Tower, he said. But he, not re he will not return from mountain or from sea. Through Rohan over Fen and Field, where long grass grows, the west wind comes walking, and about the walls it goes. What news from the west, O oh wandering wind, do you bring to me tonight? Have you seen Boromir the tall by moon or by starlight? I saw him ride o'er seven streams over waters wide and grey. I saw him walking in empty lands until he passed away. Into the shadows of the north I saw him then no more. The north wind may have heard the horn of the son of Denethor. O oh, Boromir, from high walls westward I looked afar, but you came not from the empty lands where no men are. Then Legolas sang, From the mouths of the sea the south wind flies from the sand hills and the stones. The wailing of the gale gull it bears and the and the gated moans. What news from the south, O sighing wind, do you bring to me at eve? When now is Boromir the fair, he tarries and I grieve. Ask not from me, from here he dwell, so many bones there lie, on the white shores and the dark shores, under the stormy sky. So many have passed down and won the flowing of the sea. Ask of the north wind news of them, when the north wind sends to me. O Boromir, beyond the gate the seaward runs, runs south. But you came not with wailing gulls from the grey seas, no. Then Aragorn sang again. From the gates of kings the north wind rides and past the roaring falls. And clear and cold about the tower its loud horn calls. What news from the north mighty wind do you bring to me today? What news of Boromir the bold, for he is far away. Beyond, beneath, I'm on him, I heard his cry. The many foes there he fought to know. 
His cloven shield, his broken sword, they to the water brought. His head so proud, his face so fair, his limbs they lay to rest. And Rauros, golden Rauros fall, bore him on his breast. O Boromir, the tower of God, shall ever northward gaze. To Rauros, golden Rauros falls, until the end of days. So they ended. Then they turned their boat and drove it with all the speed they could against the stream back to Path Gullin. You left the east wind to me, said Gimli, but I will say naught of it. That is as it should be, said Aragorn. In Minas Tirith they endure the east wind, but they do not ask it for tidings. But now Boromir has taken his road, and we must make haste to choose our own. He surveyed the green lawn, quickly but thoroughly, stooping often to the earth. No orcs have been on this ground, he said, otherwise nothing can be made out for certain. All our footprints are here, crossing and recrossing. I cannot tell whether any of the hobbits have come back since the search of Frodo began. He returned to the bank, close to where the rill from the string trickled out into the river. There are some clear prints here, he said. A hobbit waded out into the water and back. I cannot say how long ago. Then how do you read this riddle? asked Gimli. Aragorn did not answer at once, but went back to the camping place and looked at the baggage. Two packs are missing, he said, and one is certainly Sam's. It was rather large and heavy. Then this is the answer. Frodo has gone by boat, and his servant has gone with him. Frodo must have returned while we were all away. I met Sam going up the hill and told him to follow me, but plainly he didn't do so. He guessed his master's mind and came back before Frodo had gone. He did not find it easy to leave Sam behind. But why should he leave us behind without a word, said Gimli? It's a strange deed. And a brave deed, said Aragorn. Sam was right, I think. Frodo did not wish to lead any friend to death with him in the Mordor. But he knew that he must go himself. Something happened after he left us that overcame his fear and doubt. Maybe hunting orcs came on him and he fled, said Legolas. He fled, certainly, said Aragorn, but not, I think, from orcs. What he thought was the cause of Frodo's sudden resolve and flight, Aragorn did not say. These last words of Boromir he long kept secret. Well, so much at least is now clear, said Legolas. Frodo is no longer on this side of the river. Only he can have taken the boat, and Sam is with him, and only he would have taken his pack. Our choice then, said Gimli, is either to take the remaining boat and follow Frodo, or else to follow the orcs on foot. There's little hope either way. I think we've already lost precious hours. Let me think, said Aragorn. And now I might make the right choice, and change the evil fate of this unhappy day. He stood silent for a moment. I will follow the orcs, he said at last. I would have guided Frodo to Mordor and gone with him to the end, but... If I seek him now in the wilderness, I must abandon the captives to torment and death. My heart speaks clearly at last. The fate of the bearer is in my hands no longer. The company has played its part. Yet we that remain cannot forsake our companions while we have strength left. Come, we'll go now. Leave all that can be spared behind. We'll press on by day and dark. They drew up at last the boat and carried it into the trees. 
they laid beneath it such of their goods that they did not need and could not carry away. Then they left Pathgalen. The afternoon was fading as they came back to the glade where Boromir had fallen. There they picked up the trail of the orcs. It needed little skill to find. <sighs> no other folk make such a trampling, said Legolas. It seems their delight to slash and beat down growing things and not even growing things that are not even in their way. But they go with great speed for all that, said Aragorn, and they do not tire. And later we may have to search for our path in hard bare lands. Well, well, after them, said Glimly. Dwarves too can go swiftly, and they do not tire sooner than the orcs. But it will be a long chase. They have a long head start. Yes, said Aragorn. We shall need the endurance of dwarves. But come, with hope or without hope, we shall follow the trail of our enemies. And woe to them if we prove the swifter. We'll make such a chase as be counted for a marvel amongst the three kindreds, elves, dwarves and men. Four, three, three hunters. Like a deer he sprung away. Through the trees he sped. On and on he led them, tireless and swift, now that his mind was at last made up. The woods about the lake they left behind. Long slopes they climbed, dark, hard-edged against the sky, already red with sunset. Dusk came. They passed away, grey shadows in a stony land.